Hey, alright. And welcome to Better Yet. I'm Tim Crisp, your host. Better Yet is a conversation about music. And our conversation this week is with Brian Funk of Thou. Goodness. Thou, one of the best heavy bands. Scratch that. One of the best bands in the world released. May our chambers be full. A collaboration with Emma Ruth Rundle in October. Brian and I have such a fun conversation to share with you all this week. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to Namdi for our intro music, Marcus Nuccio, for our graphics each week. You can see all those on our website, betteryatpod.com. Invite you all to subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. You can also follow us on Bandcamp, betteryatpodcast.bandcamp.com. How are we doing out there? Happy end of the year. Happy New Year. Looking forward to 2021. Looking forward to seeing more people next year. That's my resolution, to see more people, to find out exactly how weird we've all become over the course of this plague. We took last week off from the podcast. We're also going to be taking next week off. Just scheduling stuff during this time of the year tends to be difficult, but we've been keeping busy on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast, where we've got some very fun audio and visual programming available to you i wrote an essay on joe strummer that went along with a mix of my top 10 clash songs dave collis of slow mass joined me for an episode of oversights our patreon show where we talk about albums we may have missed and dave and i had missed fiona apple's when the pawn And we dive in on that. Also did a really fun episode exploring some records that I picked up at an estate sale in Wanatah, Indiana, where I found a bunch of, I guess, contemporary classical music, avant-garde shit, Steve Reich, Morton Feldman, Pauline Oliveros, uh, Georgi Ligeti. You can check all that out. By heading to our Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. There's also exclusive content over there each week that comes directly from our guests who also receive a share of revenue. Each month, the proceeds from our Patreon are split equally between the show, our guests, and organizations chosen by our guests. If you pledge to our Patreon this week, you will be supporting Better Yet. And you'll be supporting Brian, where a podcast that pays our guests for their time. You can pledge $3 a month, like you're leaving us a tip. Or you can pledge $10 a month, which will gain you access to all that exclusive shit from me and our guests this week. Oh my god. Brian shared an unreleased part-time punk session that Thou recorded in 2018. Four songs. Absolutely incredible that's there for you on our Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. This week, Brian is foregoing his portion, so we're going to send money to both House of Tulip and to Electric Girls. Both organizations are based in New Orleans. Electric Girls provides after-school and summer programming 
teaching STEM skills to young girls. House of Tulip is in the process of restoring a multifamily property to provide housing for trans and gender nonconforming folks in New Orleans. We're going to follow Brian's example here, too. So we're going to send our money this week to Logan Square Mutual Aid in Chicago. All right. My guest this week is Brian Funk of Thou. Thou are a truly monolithic band from Baton Rouge slash New Orleans, Louisiana. I remember hearing a record called Heathen in 2014 and just being so blown away by it. The heaviness, the visuals, and I've been following ever since. And if there's a band that rewards you for paying attention, it's Thou. In the years since Heathen, they'd done collaborative records with The Body, Hers Collective, Emma Ruth Rundle, a number of EPs, and an LP called Magus came out in 2018. This is a band that's been so active and has done close to everything in-house. They're really an inspiration for everything that I do, and it was super exciting to have Brian on the show to talk. I was hot off the excitement of that estate sale, and Brian was so kind chatting from the office of his record store, Sisters in Christ, in New Orleans. This is a fun interview. Enjoy it. Subscribe to the podcast. Tell a friend. We'll be back in two weeks. For now, here's me and Brian Funk. For like, well, I go to this place, Lily's. That's like down on the other side of magazine. Yeah. Uh, like, did you go to Disco Obscura or uh, Nolan Mix? Any of those shops? Mm-hmm. They're, like, they're on like the far end of magazine, like basically um, uh, past Irish Channel, al- almost a CBD. Like, al- yeah, almost not uptown anymore. Yeah. yeah. So, did you grow up in New Orleans? Yeah, I'm from here. Yeah, I'm from from the suburbs. Oh, okay. Your folks still around? Yep, still around. Yeah. <laughs> still around. You guys uh you got siblings? I've got a little sister, yeah. Yeah, what's what's her deal? What's she all about? Uh none of the stuff I'm into. She's <laughs> she's a total square. Uh-huh. So, <laughs> you folks the same way? Uh I mean, my family, they were they were into music when they were younger, but I mean they're they're pretty like standard middle class. Mm-hmm. You know, not not very political not religious yeah um, yeah very tame you're just uh you're just an oddball i'm kind of the oddball yeah, yeah. <laughs> i mean i mean my you know like my my dad has a certain streak to him um but he's been working a full-time job since he was 16 i mean he yeah. dropped out of high school in like ninth grade or something and Wow. He's just been working, having a family since he was like a teenager. So, um, you know, I think um, with all of that, that sort of like responsibility, he sort of like didn't do, uh, you know, didn't get into like anything mm-hmm. crazier. But, you know, he's like, um, he was like a mechanic and um, he's kind of like, uh, 
like an old school, like a very much on like the barter system with a lot of people, you know, like cutting deals mm-hmm. with like other mechanics and mm-hmm. and stuff. You know, when I would go to get something fixed on my car that he couldn't fix, uh-huh. I'd show up and some guy, you know, some rough and tough mechanic guy would fix it. And he'd be like, oh, don't, don't worry about it. You, your dad took care of me with blah, 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 or, you know, st- stuff like that. So, I mean, he's he's kind of like a, a, a bit of a hustler when it comes to that kind of stuff. And um um, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to be, a, I don't want to snitch on him, but you know, like in terms of like doing stuff outside the law sometimes, yeah. like he's not, um, so there's a little bit of that streak. I think, I mm-hmm. think him like a sort of like, uh, disrespect for authority, I guess. Well, that's a good thing to, to have, uh, in the fabric. Yeah. I mean, even though he's like very authoritarian, you know, yeah, you know, he, he's very much like a, a kind of a hard ass. Um, I mean, in terms of like, when you do something he doesn't like yeah <laughs> it can be a bit a bit much but yeah i don't know so um when you're growing up like when uh when music start to take over what would you say uh probably my very early teens maybe like maybe even a bit earlier than that i, I probably started listening to like weird al when i was like 10 or 11 yeah, like listen to that obsessively, <laughs> all those early Weird Al tapes, and that 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 basically got me right up to uh, like ninety one or ninety two when all the grunge stuff first started coming out. Yeah, so I'm you got like, smells like Nirvana is just yeah. like a real real point of uh, that, symmetry. That was like, that was like the bridge right there. I was just getting into grunge and and uh, off the deep end came out. And yeah. I, I listened, I listened off the deep end until the tape broke basically. Uh, <laughs> and, and at that point I was, I was finally getting into like, actually like getting into music, you know, buying, I got a CD player. I was when I first started buying CDs. I think the first CDs I got were like, um, like the Beavis and Butthead soundtrack. Mm. Um, I want to say in, in utero maybe. Yeah. And, um, either verses or like, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Which I don't even yeah. like Red Hot Chili Peppers. I don't know why. I think I got that because, uh, you know, Weird Al's got the bedrock. Yeah, but that do now. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, yeah. So, the yeah, Nirvana uh, thing never, that that just never go away. It's always been pretty. Yeah, pretty much. Pressing. I mean, I, I, I would probably say Nirvana's like my favorite. If I had to pick, Nirvana's probably my favorite band. Yeah. I was listening but, to. Muddy Banks of Wiska recently, and I was like, fuck, man, good band, good yeah. band. But see, I like in my older age, I started getting into like the Smiths and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But yeah. like, I didn't get into that till I was probably like early mid 20s. So it just, even though like I love, love the Smiths, yeah, like, I'll never, I'll never love it the way I love like, like it'll never. It just never, it's not in, you know, like it's, it's like sort of like in the blueprint of my DNA with Nirvana mm-hmm. because it, it hit at that, just that right time when I was like 12 or 13 and sort of making that jump into being a teenager. And it was just sort of like the soundtrack through all, through high school, all, all that grunge stuff. Yeah. Which is basically what got me into like punk and hardcore, like, you know, hop skipping from the grunge stuff, basically straight into hardcore. Yeah, totally. Were you playing in in bands early on, or did that come that come no. later? Pro- probably like uh, 
18 or 19. It was like my yeah. first band. I was around band. That's kind of another way I sort of got into music is um, my friends in high school, uh, a bunch of them in like the main group of friends we had were in a band. So mm-hmm. I would go see their band all the time, um, which that's what basically got me into like finding all these different venues in town and mm-hmm. then sort of being exposed to other like smaller bands. Uh, and, and really like their band is what got me into like booking shows. I book shows for like 20 years. Yeah. And uh, it, I mean, it really just started as like an excuse to help them out, like getting some, you know, booking some spaces for their band. And then once it was like, Oh, well, this is, this isn't that hard. I can do this. And then like all the, you know, at the time, like um, late nineties, uh, 98, 99, um, a lot of the like hardcore bands, all the stuff I was into at that time, mm-hmm. none of those bands were coming here. Ba- barely yeah. at all. So that's basically when I started like, you know, writing letters to bands. And then um, when I went to college, got email address and started emailing bands. Um, and that's how I started booking shows. But yeah. it, it, was re- it was really from my friend's band, this band Head Pro, um, that, you know, just sort of by necessity was like, oh, well, I want to help them out. And I, you know, this is something I can do. I can just book the show and set it all up and blah, blah, blah. And it just sort of like opened some doors, you know, unlocked a few things for me. Yeah. That's probably where that, that bartering comes in pretty well. If you're the one doing the money and I guess uh, being on the other side of that too, with the promoters, (laughs) because I was reading, I was reading that you did, uh, you did NOLA DIY when you were in college. So it, it was pretty full force for you then, right? Well, like NOLA DIY was like, um, you know, I'm looking for these shows of bands I like. And then I would, I would, tra- I started traveling, you know, like I was 18, 19, mm-hmm. had a car, friends had access to cars. So we started traveling for shows. So I would go, you know, and nothing is close to New Orleans. So like right. I would have to go the close the closest would be like Mobile or Pensacola and that was like not a ton of good stuff but mm-hmm. uh, Athens Atlanta Houston Austin um, Birmingham Nashville um, you know those places are all within like six eight hours something like that so we'd start traveling for shows and then I'd go see certain bands and I'd be like, Oh, y'all should come to New Orleans. Should come to New Orleans. Oh, we were just in New Orleans like three months ago. No one was at the show. There's only three people at the show, <laughs> you know, and stuff. And so I started finding out about that, for, you know, traveling, talking to bands that I wanted to see. And I travel to see them and I find out, Oh, they played New Orleans and no one flyer for the show or the show got flyered for, but only within like a certain kind of like little click of people. Yeah. So I basically started a, a web. I think it was like a, um, what were they called? Um, God damn, I can't. I can't remember what those old uh, like free websites were. Oh, like oh, like Angel Fire. Yeah, Angel Fire. Right. I think it might have been an Angel Fire site. The first generation yeah. of of uh, Nola DIY. And so, like, basically, it was just like a repository for me, where every show I'd find out about, I would I would list it on this website. So I just had an easy way to go and look and say, all right, what am I going to go see this week? Mm-hmm. Or like. What I want, what shows I want to go flyer, which shows I want to go table or blah, blah, blah. And, and then that just kind of, I just built off of that, you know, like the angel fire. When I was at Loyola, I found out, Oh, uh, you know, my college, they, they give you a certain amount of like web space on the college 
surfer mm. or something. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so then I moved it from Angel Fire into like onto like the Loyola College server for a few years. And then a buddy of mine from high school uh, does some coding and website stuff. And so he he basically rebuilt NOLA DIY, you know, like, I don't know, like 20 years ago or something. Uh, and then we, you know, eventually bought the domain name for it and, and had a thing for it. But it, but really, it just came out of necessity of me like wanting a place where I could go to to find out the stuff that I wanted to see. And then at that point, I was like, you know, from here, you sort of have to like hunt down, especially back then, you'd have to like sort of hunt down those shows and stuff and hunt, mm-hmm. hunt down like the flyers and blah, blah, blah. Once I started doing the website and was sort of making a list for myself, it was like even more so. I was like going out of my way to like grab flyers and look for flyers and look for shows. So yeah. I on this list, you know, I get, I get sort of like a bit obsessive. I, like I have this like completist streak in me. I think sometimes where like I'm trying to like yeah. archive as much stuff as possible. Yeah, I mean, for for someone who's uh, trying to do some research on you, it's it's I I appreciate it very much. But like I, you know, I got that same shit. Like I was telling you with this estate sale, of just like combing through, you know, stacks and stacks. Just I and you know, looking at your records behind you right now, it's like yeah, that's that's where this all leads to, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What'd you go to school for? Uh, psychology. Oh, okay. Worthless. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I mean, f- like fun and interesting, and that's mm-hmm. why I took it. But like, looking back, it was four years that I totally wasted. That I could, like, I, sh- I definitely should have taken business classes for mm. accounting number one because yeah. that's like, I mean, I don't, let's not even get into that with the shop, but that's like mm-hmm. a nightmare. Uh, but like definitely should have taken some business classes and I, and I absolutely should have taken the um, like graphic design program, even though like in the late nineties, it was sort of like the infancy of Photoshop and all stuff mm-hmm. that, that would have like, that would have changed my life uh, in terms of thou most yeah. specifically, because like the, the, the process of thou for me in a lot of ways is, um, is having a lot of ideas for stuff I want to do, whether it's music or like graphics or whatever, but like having no skill in terms of like, I'm not a musician. Uh-huh. And I, I have no, no graphic design, no, barely any computer skills, like very minimal computer skills. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm always like having to hunt down people to like do things, you know, to, to whatever the thing is in my head, yeah. to like get that out and dial. And like the graphic design stuff, that would that would have made my life a lot easier. The the music stuff is like, at this point, it's it's fine. Like the rest of that is like, they're used to me. Um, I mean, I'm sure it's super annoying, but like, they're used to me not being able to like um, explain things in any sort of like technical, you know, any sort of like musical way. I can't like, oh blah 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 note. What right, you know, like right. I, I don't I don't know. I'm just like make that part sadder shorter longer this has got to be heavier you know what i mean like that's that's yeah. that's the only way i can explain things to like you know make make any kind of changes on the songs but i mean that it seems to have worked out however it, however it does you have you have people within the organization that uh seem to be you know aware of what you mean in your own like vagueness 
Well, I mean, I think a big part of like the vow success is that um, I, I'm in a band with talented musicians and, yeah. and I, and that means I don't have to like, um, I don't have to like have a, a big hand in that. I can just trust them to come up with something, you know, to make choices and come up with something that I'm, you know, nine out of 10 times I'm going to be on board with, or, um, Mm -hmm. is going to resonate you know i'm gonna be like yeah it's good uh, i like that you know and um i don't know i mean that's kind of how i joined anyway i joined because i had heard i had heard the, i had heard some of the songs and liked the songs so mm -hmm. um so i mean that thou is a band that i've i've always been just so impressed by i i find your your whole like organization to just be pretty remarkably uh, both active and, and self-sufficient. Um, yeah. I mean, thou uh, like our progression is very organic. Like I, I, I joined, let's say I heard thou on MySpace when I first moved back, mm -hmm. I, I left new Orleans in 2005 with Katrina for about mm -hmm. a year. And yeah. then when I, when I moved, as soon as I moved back, I was sort of on the hunt to see what local bands were around that I could pull into shows. Mm -hmm. And that was a band I found on MySpace that was a Baton Rouge band, which is like a Baton Rouge, like an hour and a half. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I found on MySpace, listened to it. It was a heavy, and I was looking for heavier bands because there's always, it's always hard to find good, you wouldn't think, but it's hard to find good heavy bands in New Orleans uh at least bands that i think are good that are heavy yeah uh, and, and i and i was like very much interested in doing like a lot of hardcore shows so anyway i'm on the hunt i find this band i listened to it i liked it um i didn't like the vocals at the time um and and i i found out that i happened to know one of the people in the band uh, i knew i knew andy gibbs previously because he he was in some hardcore bands or something and uh I hit him up and or something. And I was like, yo, kick this singer out. Let me, let me scream in this band. <laughs> that, that was basically it. And yeah. they kind of, they laughed it off and like, nah. Uh -huh. And then, and then like probably, um, a few months later, a Andy was in this other playing drums in another band, a hardcore band called we need to talk. And, um, I love that band and I, uh, helped put out a seven inch forum uh i had i still had a van at the time like a uh -huh. passenger van so i offered to take them on tour and so we basically set up this tour for we need to talk and uh basically we need to talk was going to borrow all of that they didn't have any gear they're going to borrow all of those gear to uh -huh. go on this tour and so the thou then pitched it to me like hey um what do you think about um you know, we're Lennon, we need to talk all this gear. What do you think about us coming on, jumping on this tour? It would only be three extra people because Andy's already gone. Uh, uh -huh. And and it just so happens that this record we just recorded, which was Tyrant, uh, mm. somehow, somehow we lost all the vocal tracks. So maybe we could try you out on vocals. And if it works, you know, you could record on this record and – you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes on this tour and blah, blah, blah. And so basically that's how I joined that. They, they, I think they were just like, um, trying to con their way onto this tour. Uh, 
you know, and while and you're trying to con your way into the pit. Well, well, I mean, well, I mean, when I, I mean, sort of, I mean, when I said it, it was just sort of like offhand, like I didn't, I didn't really expect anything. I didn't know any of those yeah. guys. And mm-hmm. you, you know, all, up to that point, all the bands I, I'd been in three other bands and those other bands for three and a half other bands. And those bands would be like bands with people. I was like close personal friends with like mm-hmm. known for years, you know, whatever, like people I hung out with all the time, blah, blah. blah. And this was a band where like, I didn't know any of these dudes. Like I'm, I kind of knew Andy a little bit from shows, but like, I didn't know these dudes at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were bad, you know, Baton Rouge people, which is, you know, a little dicey. Uh, What's that mean? Uh, I mean <laughs> is it, I'm, yeah. I'm just, I'm just playing. Is it but, just like, yeah. like a North side, South side type of uh, thing. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Baton Rouge people, there's just a lot of boneheads up there. I think, you know, just, it's a college town and there's a lot of, you know, even in the punk scene, there's just a lot of like, you know, torpy, whatever. Oh, sure. Maybe this is just me being, you know, snobby or whatever. Uh-huh. But, yeah, uh huh. You yeah, on your, you on your high throne in the yeah, right. big city. Right, right. The big city of, Met- of Metairie, Louisiana. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that's how I joined. And then that tour went well. And then we just started doing the normal things you do when you're in a punk band or whatever. And you said, okay, well we have a recording of a record. Let's get this record out. And we got to figure out how to get this record out. Nobody would, nobody would put out the record. I couldn't, I, you know, I hit up all these labels, put out the record. Mm-hmm. Every, everybody turned it down or couldn't do it or whatever. Um, so I sold my record collection and then put out the, you know, the first, uh, the first iteration of tyrant, like the first like uh, 12 inch of it. Wow. Uh, and, and then we'd go on, we started going on tours and then it was like, oh, these tours, you know, and up to that point, like I joined Thou in 2007 and I had been going on tours uh, like once or twice a year, every year since 2001. You know, started with that band Head Pro I was friends with mm-hmm. um, and, and just was, would either be a band I was friends with or a band I was in would go on tour during the summer. Um, and those tours were like, you know, punk shitty punk tours where like if the show happens you're lucky you know if you show Mm -hmm. up and the show actually happens like that's a success and then people are there even better yeah but you know it's like (laughs) those tours you you pull up to the gas station and it's like all right everybody throw in 20 bucks we gotta pay for gas you know it's like and then the and then that first vow tour with we need to talk all of a sudden it just worked like the i don't know how it definitely wasn't because it was probably more we need to talk than than thou, but the tour just worked. And um, even like the crappy CDR demo we had, we were selling them and people seemed um, not so much when we were playing, but like definitely talking to people afterwards, people seemed to respond to the band. Yeah. So then it was like, oh, well, maybe we can do this. Maybe we should book some tours. So we just started going on tours every few months and um, putting out more records. And, and you know, those guys uh, – the rest of the band had never, you know, th- those are like their first tours, their first time like leaving the city to go play, yeah. you know, beyond Baton Rouge or New Orleans or Lafayette or whatever, like huh. going out of town to play shows. And, and you know, you know, they loved it. And then put out records, they loved it. And so like those early days, um, you know, everybody was just a, a bit more driven. We get asked to do something, we just say yes. And then we figure it out. Um, yeah. And I don't know, that's just sort of, carried on it's we're, we're, we're more likely to say no now just because we sort of know 
everybody's got more stuff going on, so there's more limitations. But uh, mm -hmm. uh, yeah. but it's like does, never... that, does that answer the question? Is that is yeah? The... It answers the super vague question that like fell out of my mouth all weird. Um, but I mean that that really tracks though, because I feel like it's just it's really just been like a conical thing where it's just expanded, and you know the fact that you put out you know, a record of Nirvana covers and then Rhea Silver and then Magus in the same space of time. It's just like, it's amazing to me the way that y'all have kind of just like continued to do new things. And it's funny to think back of like that starting point too and the the idea that it was like not being like snatched up by labels, but people were liking it because... I think I think y'all don't like I think people overlook how hard you all are to classify as a band. It's like you're a heavy band but you're like you know 18 types of heavy at once. I mean we're 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 a metal band. Yeah, for sure. I think like a like a doomish sludgy metal band. Mm -hmm. I mean when we uh when I was first booking those tours and like sort of cold calling people, I, w I would sort of like, um, I don't know what I was comparing us to. Like my, my points of reference were, reference were like Nuth Grush or something, you know, like something mm. from the hardcore spectrum. Yeah. I, I'm not, I don't come from metal, so I don't really, you know, I don't know. Nuth Grush. Or <laughs> Me either, or but yeah. Or something like, mm -hmm. um, you know, sludgy-ish bands. Yeah, but then, but then also like, um, you know, they they were more uh, before Tyrant. The stuff they were doing was more like post rock. You know, it was very much like, um, you know, like ISIS, early Pelican. Yeah, um, like that was the stuff they were listening to, and so mm -hmm. that's sort of like how they started. And then I think all of a sudden uh, they started doing drugs and like listening to Sun and. Uh, <laughs> You know, they discovered Southern Lord and all this stuff. And so they wanted to do something that was like a heavy band, you know? Yeah. They, they, and, and then it just became like a mix of like that coming from like that post rock stuff sort of turning into like a more heavy thing. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think, I think that's like, um, that's like the blueprint for that right there is like, okay, we're interested in this thing or this element or this idea or this approach to a record of blah 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 and like it's like very incremental baby steps on how we get there mm -hmm. and, and even if we're like you know way up here trying to like with the goal um usually the execution is a lot you know less extreme than the, than the stuff we're talking about or stuff kind of rattling around our brain so like everything is very like incremental for us so it's, it just seems like a sort of natural progression did you know what you wanted to do like vocally when you were like campaigning for yourself? Oh, I've got one thing I can do and that's, <laughs> and that's it. So there wasn't uh yeah, I knew what I wanted to do. <laughs> I mean, it was the same, the band I was in before, uh, like the other more, the other serious band I was in before, um, that was band Dear Diary. I seen him be dead. It's like mm -hmm. a scream. It was like a screamo band. Yeah. And, uh, ish. And, um, a lot of times we we got uh you know the little bit of 
things people were saying about us was like, in terms of like my participation was like black, black metal vocals or whatever, which like wasn't ever something I was like going for. It's just what mm-hmm. it sounds like. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess that tracks when you think about like some of those, uh, some of those screamo bands, if the page 99 vocals were louder, it would probably just sound like black metal. But, yeah, I mean, uh, it's not that's not stuff I even like listen to. Really. Yeah, I mean, m- maybe that like second some of that second wave stuff like Dark Throne or whatever, but um, like early Dark Throne. But uh, you know, that wasn't like a inspiration or something for me. Like I'm, I come from punk and hardcore, so like most of the stuff I would, I mean, screaming vocals or nothing. I mean, that was just yeah. I have I have no talent, so like that was the <laughs> that was the thing I could do. So like if I wanted to be in a band. You know, I can't play an instrument. I can't sing. Mm-hmm. Like my only option is to be in a band where I can scream. So I've always just been in these bands where, um, you know, I was like the screamer or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, you know, we talked. To, you talked about New Orleans uh, just being a kind of a, a space where it's hard to find things, um, and I, I, I found that interesting just in thinking about that city because that city i don't know if it's just the fact that it's a like place that people move to and then sort of uh immerse themselves in i is that what's your what's your experience been like with that is it like you've obviously crafted something um now through a lot of work but yeah, New Orleans is just like a a magnet, but for so many other things. What's the question? <laughs> like in terms of like punk, or like in terms of like uh, I guess just like art? underground underground community because there's um this the New Orleans scene has I think always been a little uh I don't know fl- flaky um. But I don't, I don't understand. Flaky is a very good description. Ap- apathetic, <laughs> like completely apathetic, lazy. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. I mean, there's, it's, it's like party culture down here, you know, you, even especially with like the punk stuff. Um, and I don't know, there's a certain like shittiness to it. Um, so it's harder it's harder to do things on a bigger scale than it would be in like a, in like a similar type city. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, like it's, uh, you know, like I, when I moved to California, I lived in, uh, in Oakland for about a year. And, you know, so the Bay area was like, being a punk or whatever, like you could be a punk or grow up a punk or whatever. And it's, that's like cool and accepted. And that's like Mm -hmm. a fine thing to be right. As a kid. Uh, and in terms of like having a very like niche specific thing you're into, whatever that sub, 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 sub genre is, there's like 500 other people that also that's their thing too. So there's like a whole like Mm -hmm. scene of people around a thing. And there's like lots of excitement and stuff coming in and out of whatever, whatever your thing is, there's a, there's a, you know, a crew of people for that. New Orleans is not like that. It's like, especially when I was growing up, I mean, it's a little harder now because culturally, I think things have changed so much. 
But I mean, when I was a teenager, you see somebody in a band shirt or with a chain wallet or with weird mm-hmm. hair or something, you yeah. got to go up to them and talk you grab them and talk to them. And you know what I mean? Who are you? Like, you know, <laughs> like it, it was just hard to find, you know, to find other people that shared your interest and then, and then finding enough people that like were interested in like doing some work for some cool stuff to happen. That's like next to impossible sometimes. I mean, it happens. There's, there's cool stuff that happens in New Orleans. There's a lot of awesome stuff. There's a lot of cool bands and a lot of cool artists. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it's, it's only, things only happen by sort of a confluence of different factors. You know what I mean? It's, it's very hard to just like make something cool happen or like have the support that you would have in like a major city for whatever artistic, you know, niche and artistic endeavor you have. Like that's, that's mm-hmm. difficult. You know, I mean, for, and for me, um, that sort of obstacle has been helpful in a lot of ways. Having a, like developing a strong work ethic and developing, a, um, you know, a certain like um, threshold for pain or something, you know, like, uh mm-hmm. You, you got you to gotta be into the stuff and do it because you love it. Like, if you're expecting to, like, you know, get anything out of it other than the enjoyment of doing it, like, hit, you know, you got to hit the road because, like, there's just, it's just not going to happen. Um, it pro- it's probably not going to happen, um, especially in terms of, like, booking shows, being in bands, whatever. Um, and, and then also for me is, like, um, having a more – like balanced um interests like the this if if i lived in like if i'd grown up in like california or whatever all that hardcore shit that i wanted to you know listen to and wanted to see like i could have seen all those things i could have just been into that and Mm -hmm. never branched out to other stuff but because like there wasn't um there wasn't much of that at all happening and I had this thirst as a young man for like punk stuff. Mm-hmm. I would go to all, all kinds of stuff. And, and, in, and in New Orleans too, it's like, um, you know, me being from the suburb, you know, a little bit out of, outside of town, the suburbs, it's like, and I, and I had a car early on. Um, I could basically get around town and go anywhere I wanted and find all these places. Mm-hmm. I didn't have parents that were breathing down my neck or like curfew or anything. So I could go do, you know, explore a city and do all kinds of stuff and find all kinds of stuff that like, was interesting and like sort of like laid the foundation for how I looked at punk, you know? Yeah. Um, looking at, looking at things more of like, um, like the spaces things were happening in and the kinds of people that were around. And um, I don't know, it, it's just, it's like a lot more variance than if I had grown up somewhere where um, I could have just lashed onto that little thing that I liked and, and gotten my fill of that and, you know, and then, and then, and then maybe just aged out of punk or whatever, you know? Yeah, totally. I mean, my partner and I just moved out of Chicago uh, to Valparaiso and I definitely aged out of going to shows and shit. When I was living in Chicago, it was just like everything was happening all the time. And I remember going to New Orleans in 2016, 17, maybe. And I went to see 
think Red Fang at one of the I don't I don't remember the venue, but it probably, was probably probably one eye jacks or Yeah. Might have been it. But there were definitely a lot of uh different types of folks there. And you got the vibe that it's like this is what's going on, so anybody who has like a fringe interest in this is just here. Or they don't even maybe need a fringe interest in it. They just want to hear loud rock music. So they're there. As opposed to Chicago where, yeah, it was fucking this type of uh, heavy show every night. (laughs) All that. Um, Yeah. You don't have to take, you don't have to take any chances. mm -hmm. Um, I feel like New Orleans, like the sort of like mystic pool that exists in that city is pretty fucking like within the stuff that you write about, or am I just like romanticizing shit? All you- of, like all of your, um, like your lyrical content and the, uh, I guess sort of the, the magic and like, you know, dark shit that you write about the dark the dark shit yeah <laughs> uh yeah i mean i i don't know i mean I, I i've always sort of looked uh i think had a more global outlook on things but um yeah i don't know i mean my my experience with like sort of like like the sort of esoteric magic stuff in new orleans is like i mean up until probably like my late 20s had always been sort of like the sort of touristy voodoo stuff was like mm-hmm. the only stuff I was really aware about w- aware of it. Well, it wasn't really until like, um, uh, you know, later years when people sort of, uh, when some of that other more like esoteric, like, uh, Crowley esque stuff was mm-hmm. sort of like more, more of a thing down here. Although I'm not, I'm, I'm not like involved. I mean, that's, that's like, that's like Matthew's thing. I'm not, I'm not really I'm 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 interested in that in the Tao sense of like in the lyrical sense in terms of more like more of a um, um, theoretical or whatever uh, yeah broader broader strokes but uh, yeah I don't know I mean it has a bit of that I I, I don't I don't know if like necessarily the stuff that I'm uh, that I write about in Tao lyrically has a has a ton to do with new orleans but other than the fact that it's like i'm i'm usually writing about specific experiences i'm having or Mm -hmm. you know interpersonal social dynamic stuff that i'm thinking about or dealing with in my life and then sort of like um you know usually like like me writing that stuff, like I, we have like a, a very broad sense of what something's going to be about. And then I have like a, a like a kind of particular approach to how I'm going to write about that broader thing. And then I'll take an experience, like a personal experience and use that as sort of like the blueprint for talking about the particular thing that's talking about the broader thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'll just write it in a way that's very, ambiguous and vague so you know yeah um, it's not something you know it doesn't it doesn't seem so when a a regular person 
reason it doesn't seem so um, pr- particular to me. Mm-hmm. There, there, are, you have a lot of great moments where I don't know. Maybe it's that I hone in on like my own interpretation of it, but a song like "Transcending Dualities," hearing that was like that. I could feel like a you know a life experience that went into a song like that, and I think putting it into the terms that you did was just I don't know that was uh, that still remains like one of my favorite things they ever done. That song thanks. in particular. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I mean that stuff. Just, I mean, a lot of that stuff on Magus. I mean, just came out of like. Um, the like sort of sudden mainstream focus on um, social politics, personal politics, you know, that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Um, kind of hard not to. Yeah. I mean, well, it's, I mean, it's just kind of interesting too, to me. Cause like that's, that's stuff like, especially like being in like sort of like anarchist circles or whatever um, stuff that was like, being thrown around talked about for like years and years and you know since i've been in punk like i've been reading about this stuff or people have been talking about it in certain circles and uh seeing politics like that sort of like thrust on the mainstream is is um i mean it's wild to me it's like something i never would have expected this to see in my lifetime Mm -hmm. so it's kind of um i don't know i mean i i think some of that stuff um you know, especially if you're like looking at like Twitter or whatever too much can be fatiguing. Uh, but I, I definitely think it's like an interesting and like sort of invigorating. Uh, I mean, a lot of stuff, a lot of even stuff like through COVID, all the Black Lives Matter stuff. And um, I mean, it's just it's just wild to me. Some of the stuff that's that people are, defund the police. Uh, these I things know. that are like that are sort of becoming <laughs> like just like mainstream topics, just like it's like insane. Like I just, I, I can't, it's sort of, it's invigorating because like I see like the, the way the world looks to me is very um, like it moves at sort of a glacial pace uh, yeah. in, in terms of like progressive politics. Um, but like, I mean, maybe, maybe it's because of like the internet stuff and social media, but um, I mean, there's like the, that swing ha- has just been like insane to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. if there's there's people I went to high school with that would wear like you know, Confederate flag hats and all kinds of like racist mm-hmm. fucked up shit, and you know, there's all kinds of stuff with people. You know, I don't know. It just blows my mind sometimes. In, yeah, in a, good, in a good way, for sure. I got younger siblings, and like to talk to them and to just see the uh, the foundational understanding that they have about you know just the way. The way you treat other people where, um, you know, I think if you're born after a certain date, you have to do a, a lot of undoing and to talk to, uh, to talk to a few younger people and just see that they have it just inherent is, yeah, it's inspiring. I mean, sure. I mean, that's something too, like in the, in even just our band dynamic, like we've got two people in the band now that are way younger than a lot of us. And like their, uh, you know, their take on the rest of us has been sort of eye opening because, um, you know, we, I think we have a, 
those sort of like earlier core members, we have sort of a very like um, phallocentric way of dealing with each other where yeah. we're just like, we will just rip on each other and tear in each other and make fun of each other constantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, constantly, any sign of weakness, um, <laughs> you know, and, and all, you know, just, I mean, nobody's trying to, you know, we're not trying to like hurt each other, but like, it's just like a mm-hmm. playful teasing, but like to people who aren't used to that. And it's just like a few years younger than us. Um, you know, they, they just were like, you guys are ridiculous. You know, and like, and, and just them sort of like open our eyes to sort of like just how we treat each other in general. Um, and how I think that a lot of times can create a sort of unhealthy personal dynamic. A lot of times is that's, it's been really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if we're going to change, but I mean, we're just, we're thinking, some of us are thinking about it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's been kind of wild to watch your, your band, like, take these steps and to you know put a record out on sacred bones and then to do a tiny desk which i love that you're not in that thing i think that that's so fucking badass <laughs> it's like not present at all i mean i was there yeah not, not there not there not <laughs> not on that side of the camera mm-hmm <laughs> I wrote all those lyrics. I wrote the majority of those lyrics. Oh no, 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 for sure. I just I think it's it's pretty it's pretty badass that you were just not I don't know, playing a tambourine or something like I don't <laughs> I mean I mean, yeah, but for what? You know what I mean? It just seems like that just seems like such an ego thing. Yeah. I mean like I don't like I don't need to do that. You know what I mean? Like it was the same thing when we recorded that record. Like I'm I'm actually not I'm not on that record. Although I had a, I had a big hand in that record, probably a bigger mm-hmm. hand in that record than like a lot of our records. Uh, yeah. But I, I don't know. I mean, the thing for that, for me, uh, and maybe this is a punk thing and maybe, or, or just the way I look at bands and records and stuff, but like, I, I, I try to do stuff in terms of like the aesthetic and how we approach things where we like diminish the ego and, you know, mm-hmm. we're not, you know, we're not like rock stars. I'm not like a front man or whatever. Like we're just a band, you know, a band. We're going to write a record and hear it. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you look on some of our records, like it's hard to find thou on it, you know? Yeah. Thou might only be on the spine real small or like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so like with that tiny desk thing or that record or whatever, like, you know, it just seems it would it would be silly for me to like try to insert myself for what like what I mean what it, it, if it's not serving the music like what's the point? Mm-hmm. You know? And and I'm in this band to cre- to help create facilitate the creation of this music, and I I need to do the things that serve the music and the song and the record blah blah blah, and not not do the things that like you know are a bomb on my ego or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's collective energy. I'm punk. I'm still punk. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I think that that's something that I've identified with a lot is that there's a very like anarcho aspect to everything, but it's also bringing in as much as you can and working with as many people as you can to create. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm in this band because it's fun and engaging and I like making art with, with these people and with other people we can bring in. So anything I can do to do more of that is what's interesting to me. Like, I, I don't even care about like the show, playing shows and all stuff is like, it's not even that fun for me anymore. Like the shows are, are, are usually boring or tedious or whatever. So like, I don't even care about that. Like the performative aspect of it is not, you know, very engaging um, for a lot of reasons. Um, so like the music, like writing those records and putting out records is like the thing that's, that's keeping me around with this with this project i remember dave collis from kickstand uh in chicago was saying that when you were touring with uh emma ruth rundle that you all got there early so you could practice and i just thought that that was fucking awesome <laughs> well we uh I, we were probably practicing the misfits songs ah uh, be- because i think uh that what he, the tour he was talking about was um we were, we were finishing that tour with Roadburn and um, we basically learned all that, that whole Misfits set, like two or three days before we left, Mm -hmm. like like no, like almost no practice, like a couple of days of practicing it around practicing our set for our show or the vow shows and the Emma set for the collabo shows. Um, and I mean, the, and the vow set too is like the practice in the, the vow stuff is like, um, you know, we change the set every night. So we, we usually have yeah. a pool of like 20 songs or so that we're pulling from to like figure out what we're going to play every night. So like, you know, it's like a good amount of material that we sort of had to go through all that, mm-hmm. go through the stuff with Emma, which was still a little dicey at that point. Uh, and then learn all those misfit songs. So it was basically like, any any time we were playing some club where we had a a longer sound check where we could just bang through that as much of that misfit stuff as possible even just to keep it sharp yeah uh, we we were doing it on that tour yeah yeah it's 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 not i mean see he he probably talked about it like it was like some you know oh these guys are such hard workers blah 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 but it's because we procrastinated with the freaking misfits set <laughs> partially not procrastinating, but you know, logistically didn't have a lot of time to like mess with it. Mm-hmm. And, and so we had to like figure out, okay, how can we make the time to like get some practices in with it? So we don't look like fools, total fools when we play it. <laughs> so how has it that, been? That's, that's like, that's like standard thou though. That's like, it's like smoke and mirrors. It looks like we're like real prolific or active or like doing a lot of stuff or whatever, but it's like, you know, we do some stuff on the, you know, like whatever uh-huh. on the sly or like certain, you know, the Ray of Sylvia record, you know, Oh, that's just some stuff Matthew had for his soul. We steal all that stuff from Matthew, <laughs> record it, put it out. You know what I mean? So it's like this stuff like that, where um, just the way, I think the way it sort of gets parceled out to people, it's just like, Mm-hmm. sort of as this mythology that we're like whatever we we are total slackers we used to we used to be real we used to be good i mean we have long practice we we do some work but we mm-hmm. we we will procrastinate we will procrastinate we'll put things off we'll we'll have real big ambitions and then we'll have to scale them way back down because we can't you know make the time to do certain things like we're we're total slackers <laughs> 
I love that. Because it is fucking, it is like mythic. Like 2018, when all those records were coming out, it's like, oh my God, how do they do it? But yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's like, you know, what the Ray Sylvia thing we had recorded the year before Magus. Mm-hmm. The Nir- all those Nirvana songs we had recorded the year before Max. And we only knew the Nirvana songs because we we had played a Halloween show. And so we learned all these Nirvana songs for a Halloween show um, and just had them. And so when we, when we got back from tour and we went in and recorded Rhea Silva, we were like, oh, let's just, let's just go ahead and record all this Nirvana stuff just so we have it. So mm-hmm. if we need to do something with it, we can. And then we found a you know, spot to use it. The, Matt, and, and then so like a year later, we record Magus. And then maybe a few months after that, five, six months after that, we go back in and record the other two EPs. And one of them was like, not improv, but it was very stripped down for us in terms of it's like only, it's like a handful of riffs on the record. And most of it's like electronic stuff that Andy wrote, Um, you know, and then the acoustic thing was like a good mix of like us kind of like brainstorming stuff real quick and coming up with, with things. And, uh, Matthew having some more things from like Ray, Ray Sylvia stuff we hadn't used or stuff he was working on. Um, so, I mean, I don't know. It's just like, uh, you know, all stuff happens over a span of time and mm-hmm. then we release it in like a really short period of time. So look, it all of a sudden it looks like, Oh, these guys, these guys, out of nowhere, these guys came out with like 10 records, blah, blah. blah. It's like, well, we've been working on it for like Harvard or, you know, it's been like in various stages for X mm-hmm. amount of years. So, Yeah. Y'all do it well enough, though. And maybe it's just that it stands out so much from a lot of other bands, most other bands, um, just with the way that you operate versus the sort of model that everybody's kind of found themselves working in the past eight years or so. What's the model? Release a record a year like every two years yeah like record a record and then wait eight months for it to come out and then you know announce it four months before and then single single yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i i hate i hate all that stuff yeah me too i, I, I hate all stuff in like um when we started de- especially when we started dealing with like sacred bones like um i mean they're they're totally fine like we could do whatever we could, we could handle thing in the rollout and also we could handle it however we wanted to really. mm-hmm. uh, other, other than like some distribution stuff. We sort of have to like juggle because of how they have it set up uh, with secretly like, like we, we could get away with doing stuff however we wanted to, but it's interesting for me to take that sort of like cookie cutter approach to like rolling stuff out and see, okay, how can I, how can I subvert this? Like, how can I, how can I do this thing that would be sort of like the standard thing that would appease the record label or whatever, but like do it in a way that's like, that, that I think is interesting, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and hopefully people that are following us or whatever, maybe think is interesting, which is why, like when we did those EPs leading up to Magus, it was, it, that was like a thing where we were like, well, what if we, you know, cause usually with like a record for us, there's like an EP that goes with it. That's like, mm-hmm. I don't want to say B sides, but stuff we were writing at the same time that like didn't, doesn't fit with the sound, the sound we're hearing for the record. Mm-hmm. 
so like it's not stuff we necessarily want to put on the record and 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 that was a thing that also sort of just sort of happened organically where we just had extra stuff and labels asking us to do stuff so we would just do this ep or whatever but traditionally for us like that ep if it comes out around the record or after the record people just don't even think about it and and for us like i mean it's kind of a thing where like the record is sort of elevated a little bit but it's like uh it's more in terms of like the re- the record is the thing where it's like has to have a consistent sound it's like is there's a certain parameters we give it yeah ep is pretty free form yeah eps and splits for us are sort of where we like not that we're like cutting loose but like where we where we would experiment a little bit more mm-hmm. but at the same time like if we're putting stuff out like the stuff we're putting out, it's all important to us. Like we're not putting stuff out just to put stuff out. We're putting stuff out because we're like, we think it's the music's good and we want people to like digest it and whatever. So like this, you know, with the MAGA stuff, it was kind of like, okay, well, how can we do it to where um, people pay attention to the EPs? Like actually like sit down and listen to them. And with these even more so, we wanted some attention with them because like the part of the impetus outside the, like creative like we just wanted to experiment with the sound and like push things for for our edification like part of it was like okay we really want to like open things up a little bit where we could go on a tour of some band that that might not necessarily fit us genre wise on paper Mm -hmm. but we could fit it and we could be flexible enough like we could go out with a noise band or we could go out with an indie rock band or whatever. Like mm-hmm. we wanted, we wanted to have more of those options for us, for us in terms of like oppor- opportunities for us to go out with, to go out with like some, you know, some band to take us out on tour or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, so that was part of the thing with those EPs. We wanted to get that stuff out there and, and make people pay attention. The, the, the rollout with that, I mean, the rollout with that and the rollout with this Emma record, we've had some, we've had some, logistical issues that i would um i'm i'm still i'm still learning about some of the stuff where i feel like i need to keep a tighter rein on things to like get it accomplish it the way i want to like those eps um because we did them with certain labels and the distribution stuff and blah 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 it's like they had to like do these like announcements and Uh whatever and to me that's sort of like spoiled things a little bit because like the way we wanted to do those eps was to just drop an ep a month every month for three months leading up to magus yeah and not not say anything about not explain it or say anything about it Mm -hmm. you know when the first one came out people people were like this is the new thou record and people were like you know some people were mad and blah blah blah. i love ray silva was first right no uh us primordial was first oh okay well that's a weird one too yeah (laughs) yeah i mean ray silvia to me was like the most that was the most palatable like like more standard thou type thing which is why we kind of put it last we wanted to make it real kind of extreme and then have something that was a little bit palatable but like not quite what we normally do and then the actual record which is i think more in the sort of wheelhouse of what we normally do but but you know hopefully pushing it some yeah it was uh, funny how like Ray Silvia was uh still like low key but it was also very not, thou <laughs> not yeah yeah 
I, I, w- I wish the rollout for it had been more low key though. Like it would have been, uh, I don't know. Yeah. La- the labels, they don't, they don't get, they just don't understand this stuff sometimes. They're, they're too obsessed with like having to do things a certain way because that's the way they do it. And that's the way that like is the recipe for success for them with their other records and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, let's just have fun. You know, like, wow, let's just have some fun with it. You know? Yeah. And it was the same thing with this, with this record with, uh, with Emma where I, sh- I was trying to do some stuff that was, uh, I thought would be fun that, that we, we had some problems with the pressing plants. So the, that got all screwed up, but yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, I could imagine it being pretty difficult for, you know, doing it, doing it the way that you've been doing it for so long. And I feel like the, the labels that have come to you at this point are there because of what y'all have done independently but them trying to rein you in i could see where that's frustrating yeah i mean yeah it depends on the label like i said sacred bones is very um they've been on board any any kind of like dump like any of the scheming like they're they've been (laughs) down you know and aesthetically also like they're 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 willing to roll with whatever i throw at them basically They've they've been awesome with that so like i can't I can't, cannot say enough good things about, about that label. It's awesome. Yeah. Does that, um, tell me about the art on Magus. Was that like your concept or, um, the art of somebody that, you know, that, that fucking record looks incredible. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's licensed photographs from a photographer, Mm -hmm. uh, named Ellen Jane Rogers. Mm -hmm. Uh, I was just a fan of her. Like yeah. I was, a, I was a fan of her work and she, she does a lot of, um, it's more like, um, like fashion magazine type stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think she also teaches some photography and, um, you know, but she, her stuff is like, um, it's in that sort of like Julia Margaret Cameron, uh, realm of things. She mm-hmm. does, uh, I don't know what it's called. It's like the plates, like they, sh- they shoot it on this like old school like plates and then she actually goes in and colors it yeah Uh, that's so sick yeah i don't know i don't know enough about it like the technical Mm -hmm. stuff but like i I was a fan of her and then um we started talking about it like andy was a fan of her um and it was just sort of like a pie in the sky oh maybe we can get this lady to like do this would be cool it like fits you know in my mind it fits like our aesthetic or like some part of it Mm -hmm. um and um yeah so basically she just gave us access to a lot of stuff she had shot and we kind of just picked some stuff that we wanted to license and and uh that that's probably the first record where we've where we paid for art like every, everything else has been like you know like old, old uh you know turn of century or like older yeah stuff stuff I've stolen from places or whatever so like that's <laughs> also the first time we've like paid for art but well well worth it well worth it I love those Bandcamp like covers that you have on there. I like the idea that the one day it's just gonna all turn into one large picture. <laughs> yeah, I should have I been thinking. See, this is this thing you need the foresight for. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's so much there's so much stuff with Val, like especially like aesthetically that I, I would have approached a lot differently if I had thought if I had thought of this band in terms of like oh this is like my life's work or something like this is a band that's going to last 
20 years. Like, you know, mm-hmm. when I first started doing it, it was just like, okay, here's another band. Maybe it'll last a couple of years, whatever. Yeah. Like, and so I just kind of approached it like that. And, you know, a lot of like on the represses where like the artwork changes or something or whatever, it's like, it's me fixing mistakes. Or like, I'll go back and I'll look at something. I'm like, ah, oh, this is not, this is not good. Like I need to fix, I need to change this and fix this and make this a little better. Like, yeah. I can't, li- I can't live with it being like this for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, well, for what it's worth from the outside, it, it, it all feels uh, very deliberate. <laughs> I mean, maybe, na- maybe now a little bit. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I was, I was termed that was sort of like, like, like the great experiment for me. Like I'm, I'm like, um, like if I, if I could go back knowing that it was going to go this long or longer or whatever, like I, I would have had a, a much more focused uh, approach to a lot of things lyrically and and definitely aesthetically i would have like i, I would have i would have changed a lot of things you know like all this Dore stuff the gustav Dore stuff on the band camp like mm-hmm. that's something we kind of got stuck with because i used it i think we like needed digital when we when we started doing stuff with southern lord and they put they handled some of our digital stuff early on they needed digital art and they want what are you going to use and at the time, I was kind of like, well, I don't want to just use what we used on the record or I don't want to use what we used on the CD. Like, it's like this is a different medium. And I, and it's also like gives me more real estate to like play around with some art and some aesthetic stuff. Like, let me do something that like is different than those other things. And and I just kind of grabbed some Dore cuts and, you know, we did something with them. And I thought, oh, this is this is cool. But now it's like, you know, we're like 10 releases down the line from that. And it's like, ah, maybe I should. Maybe it would have been nicer if I had like, I don't know, I had a little bit more foresight when it comes to that stuff. That's like a when with bands, like especially like bands around here asking me about stuff, like that's something I like harp on is like decide on like the aesthetic stuff. Like that's important and you should decide on it and like have something that's like, maybe this is just my personal taste, but like, I like when bands have a very consistent aesthetic where like, you can look at a thing, a record or whatever, and not have to see the band name anywhere and know who it is like iron lung or whatever. Mm -hmm. You don't have Mm -hmm. to even see that iron lung logo and you know what it is. Um, Moloch, a lot of the stuff that our, our buddies band Moloch does. um, Yeah. Crass. They have a very like, yeah, crass. Like I, I, I like that. I like, I like when bands have like a very like tight, uh, consistent aesthetic across the board. And I think it's cool. Yeah. I think it's part, like part of the band, like the project's personality and the, you know, I, I wouldn't call it like branding or whatever. Like, I don't, I don't really think of it in terms of like, you know what I mean? Like, whatever, I, do. But like I, I just, I just like, it, it's aesthetically gratifying for me to like be able to look at a thing and just like, oh, and, and like, like the way it looks and like be drawn to it because of that. And, and it and it just kind of carries through and it sort of built you know you can build on it or pull it back or whatever but like you look at a thing and you know what it is you don't have to fucking write you know band blah 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 you know and have all kinds of texts whatever (laughs) yeah for sure well it's it's really cool uh talking to you for this i've been uh in admiration for quite some time so thanks for taking the time to talk to me yeah sorry it took so long Oh, it's all good. <laughs> all right, Bubbas, thank you for joining us. Check out Thou online. 
thou.bandcamp.com, betteryetpod.com, betteryetpodcast.bandcamp.com. Pledge to the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash betteryetpodcast. We'll see you in two weeks. Thank you, friends. <laughs>